Well, good morning, everybody. How is everybody on this first Sunday in November? The weather's turning colder. Although it's a beautiful day out. Go, go stand and just like let the sun hit you in the face a little bit this morning. It is so beautiful. Um, but yeah, we're getting into, uh, we're getting into the, the, the season of coldness. Uh, some of us like that, some of us do not. But uh, hopefully you're able to uh, enjoy God's creation, enjoy the things that God has for us in every season. Um, so I have a question for you. How many of you like a really well-crafted story? Anybody like a really well-crafted story? Just a, a novel or, or even a movie or a TV show, something that just captures your attention, gets you just kind of lost in that world. And uh, I, love, I love a well-written story. I particularly like if a story can just like uh, totally engulf me so I feel like I'm there with the characters as they are uh, going through whatever the author is putting them through. And uh, of course, some stories are very, very long stories, right? Um, if we watch TV series, for example, some of those can last for years and years and years. Uh, movies can last for uh, many, many sequels. Uh, even books, uh, a lot of times, have a story that is ongoing through uh, several kinds of, uh, or several different books. Um, but what I really, really like for myself, I really like when you can see the, the totality of the story and you can see how it kind of comes full circle, right? You start with this, uh, this story and you don't really know where it goes, but then whoever it is, the author, the filmmaker has created it in such a way that it just, it, it comes all together. It kind of meets back almost at, almost at the beginning. Um, with the characters learning quite a bit along the way. Um, I remember uh, reading uh, Stephen King's The Dark Tower series, and I know, Stephen King, I'm going to hell. But uh, Stephen King's The Dark Tower series, a series of seven books, um, and it follows this guy named Roland, uh, who is the last of a group of what are called gunslingers. They're the protectors of humanity. And he is fighting his way towards this dark tower. That's like his main goal, this dark tower in the center of his world. And the first line of the first book reads like this. It says, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. Now, it doesn't necessarily make you that interested to you know, start this journey, but the dark, the man in black fled across the desert and the, dark, and the gunslinger followed. The very first paragraph. And 4,316 pages later, across seven books, the final line of the final book reads, the man in black fled across the desert and the gun, then the gunslinger followed. And Stephen King had, uh, I don't want to spoil the story for anybody if you decide to read 4,316 pages. But uh, basically what has happened is this gunslinger's story starts all over again after all of these things that have happened. But he has the knowledge of all of these things that have happened. And throughout the course of the story, he makes different decisions that make the next telling just a little bit better and things are a little more improved. 
Now, most of you are probably not Stephen King fans, but how many Marvel movie fans do we have? Oh, several more than Stephen King, yes. Um, and of course, uh, Marvel had 23 movies. And uh, we actually, I did a, uh, a, a movie marathon one time for a church that I was youth director of. And uh, we did all 23 movies. It was 46 hours. And we just, we just started them running and, and kids would come and go and they would watch. And, and I was exhausted by the end of it. But in the first film, at the very end of the first film, the very last line of the film is Tony Stark standing up in front of these reporters and he says what? I am Iron Man. Everybody that has seen the movies knows this, right? I am Iron Man. And at the end of the last movie, almost near the very end of the last movie, when Tony Stark has gone through this incredible transformation from being this selfish, egotistical, uh, immoral kind of person to truly a hero, truly somebody who wants to save the universe. His last words are, I am Iron Man. And then, well, I don't want to spoil it for you, but he does something really, really, really heroic and saves the universe. And these stories, they just do, they do something for me. I love like long form storytelling. Uh, my wife does not. My wife prefers a 2,000 word magazine article um, to reading a book. Am I? Oh, smaller than 2,000 words, okay. Um, but I love it, I love the, the, this, these stories that just kind of take so much time um, to tell and they're, they're just very satisfying for me. And we're coming actually to the end of one of our sermon storytelling times, right? We're coming to the end of this sermon series called Blessed, the Beatitudes. And we've learned that the Beatitudes are these blessings of Jesus Christ. Um, and he gives these blessings to people who would live out a life of true discipleship, a life of true righteousness, a, a, a life that is worthy of the kingdom of God. And we found that the Beatitudes are uh, found in Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 3, going through uh, verse 10 with something of a maybe a, a little coda, um, a little afterward at the, at the end in verses 11 and 12. And we're going to talk about those today. But this morning, I want to read the Beatitudes together one last time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did you notice what happened there? Jesus starts with a blessing. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he ends his blessings, his beatitudes, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus comes full circle with these blessings. And that might not excite a lot of people. It might not interest some people. But I'm hoping to show you why this really is something exciting. Not only does it establish Jesus as a good speaker, but it also brings these blessings together to form this one almost uber blessing. And it makes these blessings just inextricably linked to one another and inextricably linked to the experience of being a disciple. Because if you don't have one of the blessings, if you don't have one of the attributes, you really don't have any of them. And Jesus started with blessed are the poor in spirit. And we learned that poor in spirit means coming to the realization that we have absolutely nothing with which to come to God spiritually. We have nothing. There is nothing that makes us worthy to even come into the presence of God. And yet he lets us come into his presence. If we are poor in spirit, if we understand that God is a God of grace and of mercy, he allows us to come to him. And he makes the kingdom of heaven ours. And Jesus ends by telling us, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And he tells us that the reward is that yours is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus isn't just linking these two beatitudes together. He's linking the whole thing. And he's telling us something incredible. He's telling us that if we are poor in spirit, if we mourn our sin, if we humbly submit to the will of God, if we hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, if we show mercy to others, if we pursue others in love and work towards peace, we will be persecuted. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right, does it? If I do all of these things, I'm going to be persecuted? Doesn't sound like a very good thing, does it? How many of you like being persecuted? Anybody? couple people do, right? Nobody likes to be persecuted. I mean, it's just one of those things that doesn't sound good. But let's take a look at what Jesus really means here. What does it really look like to be persecuted? Uh, if, if it's a blessing to be persecuted, obviously there's a meaning to that word that maybe we don't understand or maybe has changed. And the word persecuted here has several meanings and it's used in several different ways in scripture. And one of those ways is uh, it means to seek out or to press or to strive for or to follow or pursue. So basically uh, combine all of those things together being pursued and being strived for and all of those things and that really turns into something bad it turns into something that we don't want to happen to us. But before we talk about what those bad things are, let's look at some things that persecution is not. Because Christians, particularly American Christians, seem to have some wrong idea about what persecution is. So persecution, first of all, is not what happens when someone disagrees with you. 
It's not what happens if somebody disagrees with uh, your, your belief that the Bible is the word of God. And even if people believe that the Bible is the word of God, it's not persecution if they disagree with what you think it means. How many of you have encountered people who think that the Bible means something different than what you think? How many of you have gotten into big heated arguments about what the Bible is supposed to mean? And if you think that the Bible means this, then you're a heathen. You don't really have God in you if you believe this. But that's not persecution. Not everybody believes that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Not everybody believes that the Bible is the ultimate authority. And some people believe very different things about the Bible than what we believe. But them telling us that, it's not persecution. That's called a disagreement. That is called maybe, maybe I know more, maybe I know less. I don't know, but they're not persecuting. They're disagreeing with you. And if they disagree, they're not necessarily heretics. Right? They're not, they're not necessarily trying to drag you down into whatever hell you think they're going to go to. They're just telling you what they believe, just like you're telling them what you believe. And usually when we tell people what we believe, we don't think we're persecuting them, do we? We don't. And around this time of year, uh, this kind of thing happens an awful lot this American persecution of Christianity. Christians get extremely offended sometimes when somebody walks up to you and says, Happy Holidays, instead of Merry Christmas. How many of you have heard or read about some of the like really just severe arguments that people have gotten into because somebody said, Happy Holidays, instead of Merry Christmas? And they think, we're being persecuted. There's a war on Christmas. And we got to do something about it, people. Otherwise, Christmas will lose its meaning. Christmas won't be about Christ anymore. It's not persecution. When somebody says, happy holidays. Sometimes when somebody says, happy holidays, they're just doing it out of respect because they don't know if you celebrate Christmas or if you celebrate Kwanzaa or if you celebrate uh, Hanukkah or if you celebrate something else. So they're just looking to include everybody. And a lot of religions celebrate a lot of different holidays during this time. They're just trying to be peacemakers. They don't want to offend anybody. That's not persecution. If anything, when you hear somebody say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, maybe instead of getting offended, maybe, at, maybe instead of thinking you're being persecuted, maybe come to an understanding that one of God's creations has not yet known the mercy and grace that God gives. Maybe think about the fact that they have not come to be poor in spirit yet. And our responsibility as Christians is not 
to get in their face and tell them why they're wrong and tell them how offended they have made us. It is to live out the life of Jesus Christ. It is to show them who Jesus is. And by showing them who Jesus is, the Bible tells us we show them who God, the Father, is. But those things are not persecution. It's not persecution when your boss asks you to put your Bible away during work hours. That's another one that I've heard a lot about. Well, my boss is persecuting me. He's telling me that I can't read my Bible at my desk. Well, if you're supposed to be working, if they're paying you to do a job, it's not persecution, it's do your job. Now, if he's saying that when you're on your lunch break, or if he's saying that when you're out in your car, that's something different, and it's still probably not necessarily persecution. But when you're hired to do a job, you do the job. Doesn't mean that you don't do the job as if you were doing it for the Lord, as the Bible tells us to. It just means you're being paid to do a job, and you're supposed to be doing it. It's not persecution. And there are so many other examples of what persecution isn't. And we've gotten into this idea, a lot of American Christians have gotten into this idea that anything that has to do with any statement against Christianity is automatically persecution, and it's not. Persecution is a systematic and constant mistreatment of a person or a group of people. It's not saying happy holidays to you. This mistreatment can come in, in really mild forms, or it can come in really extreme forms. Now, if you are fired, and the reason you are fired is because you are a Christian, and you know that to be a fact, and you can prove it, that might be persecution in its mild form. It might be. You might experience some emotional or financial hardship if you are truly being persecuted for being a Christian. And it's true. It does happen. Most often, though, we hear about persecution that comes in extreme forms. People who are incited to hate Christians as a group. People being arrested because they were preaching their faith. People being imprisoned, beaten, tortured. People being executed. People being murdered for their faith. That is persecution. Maybe Christians should put that on a bumper sticker. Tortured for Jesus, ask me how. Honk if you want to be executed. I know this might be in bad taste, but really, when Jesus calls us to discipleship, when we are poor in spirit and we are humble before God and we mourn our sin and we seek after righteousness and we treat people mercifully and we look to make things as peaceful as we can, Jesus says, expect to be persecuted. When Jesus calls us to be disciples, 
He is calling us to come and die. And not always just spiritually. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because they are Christians. 13 a day. And another 12 worldwide are imprisoned every single day because they are Christians. Between 2010 and 2020, between 50 and 70,000 Christians in Nigeria were killed just because they were Christians. In North Korea, tens of thousands of Christians are currently being held in prison camps. Do you know what the punishable offenses were? Propagating religion, possessing religious items, praying, singing hymns, or even having contact with religious people. And you're imprisoned for it. Don't worry about saying Merry Christmas in North Korea. You say Merry Christmas in North Korea, you're going to prison. You're going to a prison camp. That's persecution. Why should Christians expect to be persecuted for living for God if Christ's disciples are poor in spirit and meek and all of these things? Why would anybody want to persecute them? Why would they want to imprison them? Why would they want to kill Christians? Well, Jesus tells us the answer to that too in verses 11 to 12 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you. And we get a little change here. Jesus is not just talking about a blanket statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are you. Jesus shifts gears here and says, expect this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A prophet is not somebody who necessarily knows the future and tells it. The definition of prophet is a person regarded as an inspired teacher or proclaimer of the will of God. A person regarded as an inspired teacher. Inspired by who? God, through the Holy Spirit. What are they inspired to proclaim? The will of God. Did you know we're supposed to be prophets? We're supposed to be prophets. We're supposed to be proclaimers of the will of God. And Jesus says when we do that, we can expect to be reviled. We can expect to be persecuted. We can expect all kinds of evil to be spoken against us falsely. Just like the prophets who came before us. And Jesus is speaking here to an audience who would know the Old Testament prophets. But in 2021... Jesus is speaking here of all Christians who have proclaimed the true will of God throughout all time. 
In the Old Testament, Daniel was persecuted by his colleagues, his work buddies. They worked it out so that Daniel could be thrown into a den of lions, thinking that he would be executed. According to Jewish tradition, the prophet Isaiah was killed by being sawn in two while he was alive. Jeremiah was stoned to death. Micah is said to have been killed after he rebuked King Ahab, telling him that he wasn't doing the will of God. And Amos was tortured by Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, a religious leader. Because Amos told Amaziah that you're not doing the will of God. All of these prophets were killed because they proclaimed the will of God to the people and because they rebuked the kings and the religious leaders for acting against the will of God and taking the people down with them. That's why they were killed. Jesus was killed because he proclaimed the will of God to the people and he rebuked the religious leaders for acting against the will of God and taking the people down with them. This has happened throughout history. Where are my deacons this morning? Deacons, raise your hand. Come on, deacons. Let me see you. Raise your hands, deacons. Get ready. First person ever killed for their Christian faith was a deacon. It's true. Stephen was the first person to die for Christ. We read about Stephen in Acts chapters 6 and 7. Stephen is described as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I would describe our deacons that way, as people of great faith filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 6, verse 8, we read, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And while Stephen was doing these things, it started to get him into trouble. Some people didn't like that he was doing all of these great wonders and signs in the name of Jesus Christ. They secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They told lies in order to get him arrested. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. False witnesses. All manner of evil spoken against you falsely for my sake. That's what Jesus told us to expect. And here's Stephen receiving what Jesus told us to expect. After his accusers finished, the high priest said, are these things so? What do you have to say for yourself, Stephen? And Stephen here is on trial. 
And Stephen stands up and he speaks to the council. The council are all of the religious leaders in the area. And he starts telling them the history of the Jewish people, starting with Abraham. He goes through the history of Abraham and Joseph and Moses and the prophets. He points out everywhere that the religious leaders maybe forgot had happened or were ignoring the reasons why they happened. And then he comes to the end of his testimony and he looks at the high priest and he looks at the council, these men who have the power to do whatever they want with Stephen. And he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Stephen's talking to the religious leaders. And he is calling them lawless. He is calling them out for not doing the will of God and for bringing the people down with them. He proclaimed the will of God to the people and he rebuked the religious leaders. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And stoning sounds just like what it sounds like. They picked up a bunch of rocks and pelted them at him until he died. Stephen lived a life for Christ. He was poor in spirit. He was mournful of his sin. He humbly submitted to the will of God and sought out righteousness. And because he did all of these things while these stones were being pelted at him, <coughs> hitting him in the body and in the head, Stephen showed mercy to these people. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen was dying. And he knew he was going to die. He knew they wouldn't stop. He knew they would not be merciful to him. And he cried out to God for God's mercy on them. Just like Jesus did when he was being nailed to the cross and he called out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. How many of us could say that we would be so merciful how many of us can say that we could pray to God for those who are torturing us, for those who are killing us, for God to show his mercy to them? How did Stephen do it? 
Stephen did it because Stephen was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Stephen stood up under extreme persecution and some of us can't stand up to happy holidays. Morning Hour Chapel, it is time to understand what persecution is. And I'm not sure if this is what Jesus is saying here, but I, I think I can be fairly certain. When Jesus tells us that we should be thankful when we are persecuted, I think it means we should be acting in a way that will get people mad at us. It will go counter to everything that the society, everything that the culture tells us is the right thing to do. And we stand up and we say, no, this is the right thing. And we practice mercy and we practice forgiveness. We don't go after the people who are going after us. We turn the other cheek. We walk as many miles as we need to, to show them the mercy and the grace of God our Father. And we pray for their forgiveness. We ask God not to blame them. Don't hold this sin against them. Stephen was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus finishes the Beatitudes the same way that he began them. Because when we live the Beatitudes, we inherit the kingdom of heaven. And when we are willing to die in order to live the Beatitudes, we inherit the kingdom of heaven. And the only way to live for Christ is to be strong enough to die for his sake. And the only strength that we can get that would make us strong enough is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you do it? Can you live the Beatitudes? Can I live the Beatitudes? Am I willing to die because of my faith in Jesus Christ? No, I'm not. Not by my own power. The only way I become strong enough is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for allowing us to gather here this morning without persecution. We thank you that by and large we are safe to worship you. 
Father, I pray for the Christians around the world who are not. Father, we know they're arrested, they're tortured, they're beaten. Sometimes they're executed for their faith. And because we have not known persecution, we feel sorry for them. We don't truly understand that they have inherited the kingdom of heaven because of their faith. Father, help us to understand what true persecution is and give us strength to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. Give us strength to stand up under true persecution if it be your will that you send it our way. Help us to be willing to die for your kingdom. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we step away from learning the Beatitudes over the last several weeks and months, I pray that you will be blessed. I pray that you will be poor of spirit, mourning of your sin, seeking righteousness and humility to God, and practicing mercy and peace wherever you go. God bless you this week.